Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Steve Garcia. And uh, if this is your first time with us, I sure would love the opportunity to meet you. I'll be hanging out in the courtyard here near the, near the uh, photo ops and would love to get a chance to shake your hand or give you a fist bump depending on your COVID comfort level. Uh, but we're just so glad that you're here. Welcome back to those of you we haven't seen in a while, saw a family today. Today was their first day back since the start of the pandemic. And uh, it's just a reality of our lives, but we're here to worship Jesus. He is the risen king, and we're so thankful to have the opportunity to come together like this. I know that for some of you, it took a lot for you to get here. There are some of you in here who are thinking, you have no idea what it means for me, me, to be in this building. You thought with the kind of life that you lived, when you walked into the church, the ceiling would just fall down right on top of your head. It didn't, and you're here. For those of you with kids, I wonder if you, how many of you had fights before you got here? Kids try to wear those ratchety old play clothes to church instead of the cute little Easter outfit you picked out where everybody matched. You thought it was going to be World War III in your home. It wasn't, and you're here too. There are some of you who, you've got some family members that if they found out you came to church, they would either be jumping for joy or picking themselves up off the ground from fainting. Uh, They didn't, and you're here too. And so we want to say welcome. I also want to welcome all of you who are watching with us live online right now. I don't believe it's any accident that any one of you are here. And I believe that God has a powerful word for every single one of you. Today could be the day that your life changes. Before we jump into today's message, I want to tell you about a new message series that we are kicking off in two weeks at the start of May. It's called Reply All, and it's all about dealing with the difficult people you may have in your life. We're going to look at a person in the Old Testament named David who had lots of dysfunctional relationships, unlike you. But uh, we want to gain some wisdom from God's word on how we could respond to the many challenging, difficult people that we have in our lives. That starts in two weeks. Sure hope you'd be a part of that with us. So here's the question I would love for you to ponder as we begin our time today. When you think about the future, are you hopeful? Do you feel like things are going to get better or things are going to get worse. Now, if I were a betting man, I would guess that most people would believe things are going to get worse just based on how they are now. I mean, we continue to see mass shootings like this past Tuesday in Brooklyn, another one yesterday in South Carolina. We have wars with civilian casualties like what's taking place in Ukraine. Inflation has risen to a 40-year high. Gas prices going up, groceries going up. Utilities going up. Many people are, are living uh, with really tight financial lives. There's new fears about the latest variant of COVID. You've got cities like Philadelphia reimposing the mask mandate. There's even variants of the variants discovered in places like England and South Africa. So again, I ask you, are you feeling hopeful about the future? Well, I was until I came to church. <laughs> Listen. Our world will never run short on things to make you afraid. 
Our world will never run short on things that will scare you, things that will discourage you, things that will cause your anxiety to spike. What our world does run short on, however, is hope. And this is one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith. It's centered on hope because it's centered on Jesus. And when the dark night of the soul settles in on your life, you need to be reminded that the sun will rise again because the sun did rise again. Amen? (laughs) So today, I'd like to look at two different stories of hope. One from a woman, the other from a man. One from the past, one from the future. Two very different people, but very similar circumstances. Both feeling the weight of this world and barely clinging to hope. So, if you have a Bible, find your way over to the New Testament book of John chapter 20. Or if you have a device that's got a Bible on it, now would be a good time to get that out. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along with us on the screen. So we're going to start first with Mary's story, and it's found in John chapter 20, and we're going to begin in the very first verse. So read along with me. John 20, verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Our story begins with a woman named Mary. She's from the city of Magdala, a place with a reputation for prostitution, which is what many believed was Mary's former way of life. We also learn from the Gospel of Luke that Mary was under severe demonic oppression, had several different spirits that were working in her life. She was a mess until Jesus stepped into the story. He touched her life, and it was never the same. She became one of the most devoted followers that Jesus had. She was with him to the very end. She was with Jesus when he was arrested. She was there when they put him on trial. She was there when the Roman governor gave Jesus a death sentence. She was there when Jesus was being severely flogged, and she was there as Jesus was breathing his last breaths on the cross. And despite threats against those who follow Jesus, here she was boldly on the first day of the week running out to the tomb of Jesus. And it's just a reminder to all of us how much a life can change. When we give our lives to Jesus, he can transform even the most messed up life. He could transform it from a disastrous life to a devoted one. And it's no shocker that Mary was the first one at the tomb on that first Sunday morning. And when she got there, it was empty. Her immediate assumption was grave robbers. So she ran back to tell the disciples, verse three. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So the one who wrote this book is John, and he's the other disciple. And I think it's interesting that he wanted to remind us who won the race that day. See, the Bible's written by real people. And isn't it just like a man on the most significant day of history to make sure the world knows who was the faster disciple that day? (laughs) Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw 
and believed. So when Peter and John arrived at the tomb, they confirmed what Mary told them. The tomb was empty. And just like they raced to the tomb, they elbowed Mary out of the way and raced right back to tell the other disciples what they saw. But Mary remained there alone in her pain. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? The reason why Mary was crying was because she loved Jesus. He changed her life. And the last images she had in her head of Jesus was him dying on a cross. Crucifixion was one of the most brutal ways to die. It was a mixture of torture and slow death, perfected by the Romans. No one survived crucifixion. No one. And this is the last image that she had. So she's coming to this tomb. She just wanted some closure. Anyone who's ever lost a loved one understands this. She wanted to give him a proper burial. She wanted to pay her last respects, say her final goodbye. And she couldn't even do that. As if the enemies of Jesus hadn't done enough harm, now they took his body. I mean, she had to feel like she was being kicked while she was down. Ever felt that way? Ever had some circumstances hit in your life so much so that you just feel like the hits just keep coming? On the same day you got a flat tire, you lost your wallet, a pipe burst in your home, and your dog died. (laughs) Maybe you didn't experience that exact set of circumstances, but I bet there's been a time in your life where things hit all at the same time and you were shaking your fist back up toward God going, really? Can't I catch a break? I wonder if that's how Mary felt that day. But the underlying pain of all of it for Mary and for so many other Jews was that Jesus claimed to be Messiah. The Messiah wasn't supposed to die. Messiah was the the one who's going to lead the Jews out of oppression Jesus was supposed to be the one who would rally the troops and and lead a rebellion against the Roman Empire, but now he was dead, which caused his followers to think, was Jesus really who he said he was? They didn't just lose a friend in Jesus, they were losing their faith in God. And there sat Mary, weeping, barely clinging to hope. That was Mary's story. Now I want to shift gears to John's story. The last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation. And it was written by John, the same John who won the Easter Sunday marathon to Jesus' tomb. And later on in his life, he was arrested and exiled, sentenced to go work in a prison camp in Patmos, Greece. This is all because he refused to worship the Roman emperor. And by the time the book of Revelation was written, John was in his 90s, a frail old man, barely clinging to life amidst the harsh circumstances of being in a prison camp. And that's when Jesus appeared to him and started giving him these future visions meant to encourage him to hang on and to encourage his followers. And so John's job was to grab something to write with and just record all of these visions that he was given. And so where we find ourselves in the fifth chapter of Revelation is that John was given this vision where he was transported into the throne room of God in heaven. 
and, and the scenes are overwhelming. I mean, you have God Almighty on the throne to begin with, which is overwhelming enough, but then there's angels circling all around the throne. There's all these people who are singing, and there's brilliant lights flashing in every direction and loud noises like the roar of waters. I mean, John had to be overstimulated by the frenetic scene he was standing in, but nevertheless, he gathered himself and recorded the events, and this is the scene that unfolded. Revelation 5, verse 1. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? The right hand of God symbolized power. And so when he lifted his right arm, all of heaven took notice at the scroll that was in his hand with writing on every space and every margin. All of heaven was captured by this moment, so much so that an angel issued the challenge, hey, who can come and open it? What was was in this scroll that was so important? Well, it contained many things, but among them were the secrets of mankind, the answers to the question humanity has been asking since the dawn of time, which is, what is the solution to the problem of evil? I bet you've asked it on some level in your own life, too. I bet you've looked at the world and all of the hardships that are going on and have wondered, God, why is there so much evil in the world? And why don't you do something about it? And we're often left with one of two conclusions. Either he won't or he can't. And if God won't do something about all the evil in the world, well, that means he's not a very loving God. And if he can't do something about evil, that means he's not a very powerful God. Is this someone who we really want to follow? All of the major religions of the world attempt to answer the problem of evil. Eastern religions say that the solution is to escape evil through enlightenment and positive thinking. Works-based religions teach that the solution to the problem of evil is you have to outwork it. you got to do more good things than bad, and hopefully in the end you could tip the cosmic scale just enough so that you can get into the good place. Atheistic religions teach there is no solution to the problem of evil. Just live your best life now because eventually we're all going to die and cease to exist. Yet in Revelation chapter 5, we've got this image of God holding the answer in his right hand. And all of heaven is on bated breath of wondering who's going to be the one who can open it. Here's what John says in verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one in all of heaven? Because in heaven, you got some pretty good options. I mean, can't you see John just saying, Moses, come on, Moses, you could do this. The, the guy who opened the Red Sea, surely you could open the scroll. Come on, everybody. Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses can't do it. Uh, who else do we got here? Uh, Elijah, the prophet Elijah. This guy once called fire down from heaven. He could open up the scroll. Come on, everybody. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Elijah can't do it either. Oh, goodness, uh, Samson, the strongest guy ever. This guy tore apart lions with his bare hands. He once beat down a whole army with a donkey's jawbone. That's the guy. Come on, everybody. Oh, he doesn't even want to try. All right, who else we got left? Peter, come on, Peter. The apostle, the apostle Paul, no? How about you, mighty angel? You, You can give it a go. He says, no one in heaven could do it. So they had to turn their attention to the earth. Hey, anybody down there worthy? Kings, presidents, billionaires, trailblazers, 
professional wrestlers. Come on, anybody down there strong enough, worthy enough? No? Maybe we've got to go look at the other place. Maybe we've got to go ask hell. Is there anybody down there worthy? I mean, it's a stretch, but we're, we're getting desperate. John said no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look inside it. And the reality started to settle in on John of what this meant. Basically meant that in the end, evil wins, which makes life hopeless. And look how he responded, verse 4. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. The weight of this started to hit John. There's no justice at all. Every criminal, every abuser, every slave trader, every extortionist, every exploiter, anyone who ever ruined another life but sneaked past the system in the end gets off scot-free? And I wonder if John had to at least think, you know, God, I've been trying to live for you. I've tried to give generously and live sacrificially and love unconditionally. What was it all for if in the end evil wins? And here's John, collapsed on the ground, weeping his eyes out, feeling like there's no hope at all. Have you ever felt that way? Some of you are feeling that way now. And see, what happens is when, you, when the immediacy of the circumstances are in your life and making you feel hopeless, it causes you to give up on God. Some of you are thinking, I'm never not going to be lonely. I'm never going to find a husband to spend the rest of my life with. I'm never going to find a wife to love and cherish. Some are feeling, I'm never going to get a better job. I'm always going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm never going to be happy again. My heart will not recover from this latest setback. I had my shot and I blew it. I'll never be happy again. And when the immediate circumstances hit our lives like this, this is where you and I have to wrap our hearts around this one powerful truth. Never let the immediate distract you from the eternal. Never let the immediate distract you from the eternal. The immediate circumstances are a powerful argument against God. You're feeling the hits coming, but it's in these moments where we have to realize there is something more to the story than just what I could see. How do I know that? Because there's more to Mary's story and there's more to John's story. The story didn't end with John weeping at the throne of God. The story didn't end with Mary weeping at an empty tomb. If it did, none of us would be here. But with Jesus, there is an eternal perspective that pushes beyond our immediate circumstances. And this is what we've got to hold on to. Let's go back to Mary's story in John chapter 20. There she was, crying, until some guy behind her started to say something. John 20, verse 15, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So Mary's in fight mode now. And she's taking it out on the gardener. All right, that's it. I'm going to go find Jesus' body if I need to kick in some Roman doors. She's taking off her earrings. She's taking off her eyelashes. She's cracking her knuckles. 
She's in full fight mode. And this supposed gardener says one word to her, and it changes everything. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means, teacher! Mary knew that voice, and when she turned around, she saw that face, and there was the risen Jesus, and she grabbed him so tight and started hugging him that he had to ask her to let go. The unthinkable happened. Jesus is alive. He did the one thing that no one in history has ever been able to do or no one in the future will ever be able to do, and that is conquer death. And yet here he was. There is more to the story than just the immediate. There is the eternal. And shortly after he appeared to Mary, this happened, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So now the disciples joined in on the party. Laughing, hugging, crying, singing. They got to celebrate with the risen Jesus too. And then after this, Jesus went on his resurrection tour. For the next 40 days, he was appearing to all kinds of people. He appeared to his brother. He appeared to other disciples. He crashed a party with 500 men and women showing them the nail scars in his hands and the side from where the Roman soldiers pierced him with the spear. And all of a sudden, this little fledgling group of Jesus followers began spilling outside the walls of Jerusalem into Africa and into Asia and into Europe because people were convinced they saw the risen Jesus. And that movement has continued to wrap around the globe. And here we are thousands of years later in our Easter best still talking about Jesus. Yes, that's worth clapping for. Because Jesus is eternal. And he showed with Mary that not even death is the end. That there's more than what's right in front of us, as difficult and as powerful as those circumstances may be. Never let the immediate distract you from the eternal. That was Mary's story. Now let's shift back to John. He finds himself weeping over the meaninglessness and hopelessness of the fact that evil in the end wins because nobody can open the scroll. But just like someone spoke to Mary, someone spoke to John. Revelation 5, verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Somebody said to John, Hang on a second. Wipe those tears. Another candidate is emerging. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, those kind of descriptions don't mean a whole lot to us, but for Jews, these were huge descriptions because these referred to the Messiah. All of their disappointments in Messiah in this life is going to be recognized in the next life and more. The Messiah was prophesied to come out of the tribe of Judah, to be in the lineage of David. It's the lion. And listen to how John describes this scene. Verse 6, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. 
And this one verse is so powerful, I want to take a second to just break it down piece by piece. He first says, then I saw a lamb. Don't you find it interesting that in the previous verse, he heard a lion, but he saw a lamb. This worthy one is both the lion and the lamb. He says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Now, in the Old Testament times, the way that people atoned for their sins is that they would sacrifice a lamb. So they would find one that was pure and spotless to represent sinlessness, and they'd take their hand and place it on the forehead of the lamb as a symbolic transfer of sin from person to animal, and then they would slit its throat so it could bleed out. This was the fastest and most humane way to kill the animal because they understood that blood needed to be shed to atone for one's sins. And rather than sacrificing themselves, they sacrificed a lamb as a substitute. And John describes seeing a lamb that looks as if it was slain. This lamb he saw probably still had the slash across the throat. He says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Now, I'm not the smartest man in the room, but I know this much. Dead things don't stand up. This lamb clearly had died, but yet it was standing victorious as one who has conquered death. And he goes on to describe it as being encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Horns represent power. The number seven represents wholeness or completion. And so this lamb had complete power. It was omnipotent or omnipotent. And the eyes represent knowledge, that this lamb could see all. Nothing was outside of what it knew. It was all-knowing. It was omniscient. And the spirits represent presence that is present all over the earth. This lamb was omnipresent. And so the voice that woke John up says, see, here comes another one. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that looks as if it was slain, standing up, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. This is none other than the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was in the lineage of David. Jesus was the sacrifice. In fact, John the Baptist once saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the same resurrected Jesus who appeared to Mary, now appears to John and dramatically enters this scene where all, everyone's on pins and needles. And what does he do when he enters? Verse 7, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So Jesus walks right up to the Father, snatches that scroll out of his hand, and proves that he is the only one worthy. And with this, Jesus explains that he is the solution to the problem of evil. You see, Jesus lived a sinless life. And so God the Father took all of the sin and evil of the world and put it on Jesus. And when he was killed, he took all of that evil into the grave with him. But when Jesus rose back to life, he left the power of evil still in the grave. And for all who would place their faith in this Jesus, you too can experience a resurrection, spiritually dead to spiritually alive, awake and apart and victorious over the power of evil. And someday Jesus is going to do away with the 
presence of evil. Someday Jesus is going to pop open all of those seals and unleash a series of events that's going to systematically take this world down, take the systems of evil down, and bring about his justice. And when heaven realizes that Jesus is the only one worthy, look at how they respond. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Don't you find it interesting? that all the heaven sang a new song. They stopped singing the old song. The old song was, who is worthy? The new song is, Jesus is worthy. And that's what heaven began singing. And then the angels jumped in. Verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elder. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. All of heaven worships Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, declaring that he is worthy. The same resurrected Jesus who appeared to Mary, the same resurrected Jesus who appeared to John in all of heaven is the same resurrected Jesus that we're talking about today. All of heaven declared he is worthy. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is the same one. Do we believe that Jesus is worthy? Do you believe Jesus is worthy? Worthy enough to take control of your life Worthy enough to give him your fears, to give him your dreams, to give him your kids, to give him your expectations, to give him your heart. See, I believe that Jesus today is calling out your name and he desires to have a relationship with you where he could forgive you of all of your sins and walk with you every step of the journey in this life and the next. And every relationship has a starting point. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, as plainly as he can, here's how to start a relationship with Christ. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the relationship that Jesus wants with you. But it starts with us saying, Jesus is Lord. Those are the three most important words you will ever say in your life. To say Jesus is Lord, you are saying, Jesus, I'm giving you the keys to my life. Take it and bring it wherever you want it. I believe you are God's son who died on the cross for my sins. I ask for you to forgive me of all my sins and I commit my life to you. I want you to be my Lord. It says we need to believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. What we're saying is I believe you, Jesus, that you are who you say you are and you are still alive and if you can conquer death and come back to life, can you do the same thing in my heart? Can you raise me to new life? Have you ever intentionally 
invited Jesus into your life like this? Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Now, I'm not talking about just acknowledging that Jesus was a historical figure. I'm not talking about affirming that Jesus was a, a good man, a good teacher, etc. I'm talking about inviting him into your life as Lord. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that today. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer. You could repeat the words after me, but you've got to believe it in your heart and pray it in your own voice. And if you're willing to give your life to Jesus, he will hear this prayer from heaven and he will make you one of his own. So this time, I, I wanna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes so that we can be in a posture of prayer. And I wanna invite you now, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord to come into your life, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your own heart. Pray this in faith. Jesus, today I give you my life. Just pray that in the silence of your heart, right back up to heaven. Jesus, today I give you my life. I put my trust in you. I ask you to be my Lord. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again. And I ask today that you would give me new life. Change me, Jesus, so that I could follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, yeah, this is what I want you to do. On the programs, as Pastor Anthony said, there's a perforated card on the bottom, there's a box that says, I said yes. In a moment, our ushers are going to come forward to collect offering for today. You just drop that card right in there and let us know you said yes. You know, another thing you could do is you could take out your phones right now and text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people is on the other end of that, and they would love to exchange a few messages with you. Just tell them, today I said yes to Jesus, and they'll help you understand what next steps you should take. For anyone wanting to take a next step, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Maybe you want to join Rooted. You heard about it in the video. It's a 10-week experience. You could do anything for 10 weeks. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Maybe you want to get more involved. You want to get some people in your life. You want to uh, serve or you just need somebody to talk to. You need some assistance. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or for those of you who are in the room, out in the lobby, we have a table that has a sign above it that says NEXT. You can go there as well. Friends, never let the immediate distract you from the eternal. There is more to this life than what you see right in front of your face. It almost distracted Mary. It almost distracted John. Don't let it distract you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the eternal one. He desires to have a relationship with you today. But it all, all boils down to this one question. Do you believe he is worthy? Mary believed it. John believed it. All of heaven believes it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? <laughs> well, if so, then don't you dare quit. Because Jesus proved 
that not even death is the end. So with Jesus, you could look into the future and always have hope. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you keep the story going. You are eternal. You are beyond just what we see right in front of us. You're beyond the immediate. Thank you for the fact that death couldn't hold you down. We just declare in this place you are worthy. And Lord, I want to thank you for everyone who prayed to receive Jesus today. And if that was you, I just want to ask you to boldly just put your hand up in the air to say, Pastor, today I said yes. I see your hands right back here. Put your hand in the air nice and high so I could see him. Today I said yes to Jesus. I got you guys right there in the back. Lift up your hands. Yep, all over here. Today I asked Jesus to be my Lord. Great. How about over here? Just put your hands up. I could see you right there. Amen. Lord, for these brothers and sisters today who made this prayer to you. May this be a commitment that changes their life forever, Lord. May today be the day they experience resurrection of their old life being dead in sin and their new life alive in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here who's feeling the weight of circumstances, barely clinging to hope. And if there's somebody in here who's saying, Pastor, I'm struggling. I got things happening in my life. I feel like I'm ready to give up. Would you lift your hand so I could pray for you? Just put them up in the air and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I could use some prayer. I got some hard things going on in my life. Please pray for me all over the room. God, for all of us who are wrestling and struggling with the difficulties of this life, the difficulties of this world, will you help us to maintain an eternal perspective that extends and reverberates past just what's happening in the moment? Lord Jesus, you defeated sin and death, and so you already took care of the biggest problem humanity will ever face, and so we just believe in faith. You could take care of whatever's in front of us now. We need you, Jesus. We declare you are worthy. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, and if you believe in your heart, then let the church say amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.